welcome. You're listening to a sermon podcast from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. So as we mentioned this third, third week in this reboot series, uh, uh, we've been looking at different aspects of our life in the kingdom of God and trying to, you know, take advantage of the goodwill of the new year, uh, the energy that it brings to challenge one another, to reboot our attention in certain aspects of our life. And the aspect that we're talking about this morning is this aspect of prayer. And the reality that in our life with God, sometimes our prayer life can get stagnant, can get stale. It can be neglected and left to rust alongside the Bowflex machine and the Peloton and the Duolingo app that we downloaded last year. But to get us started uh, this morning, I wanted to read just one verse out of 2 Chronicles chapter 7. So if you would stand with me. Uh, for the reading of God's Word. It is Second Chronicles 7, 14. God says, If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. This is the word of the Lord. So I wanted to start with this verse because this particular verse is at the same time one of the quintessential flag post kind of verses about God's promise in prayer as well as being the source of well a lot of questions that those of us that have struggled with prayer have. Like, you know, on the one hand, you have this grand if-then statement uh, that God makes to Solomon here in this passage, which a statement which is, you know, reiterated over and over all the way throughout Scripture, most notably, of course, by Jesus in his various statements on prayer where he says some form of the words that he says in John 14, 14, You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. It's this grand contract between God and his people. If you pray, I will act. I will respond. It's a contractual statement by which God promises to respond to a person's request, a humanity's request. Really, it's a statement that reveals the kind of God that our creator is. Our God is a God who cares, who responds to his people. He is not a disconnected, disinterested spectator deity lazily watching history unfold like someone sitting on the couch flipping through channels late at night. This verse describes God as a God who is attentively listening, listening for his people to call out to him, to cry out to him, to reach out to him, even when they are suffering the consequences of disobeying him. Still, he invites his people to cry out to him and promises to respond to them when they do. 
wow. Like, what an amazing God we have. And an amen goes right there. So we're going to back it up. And we're, no, 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 no. We're going to try this again so it's in the flow. Wow, what an amazing God we have. Amen. There you go. So on the one hand, this verse is this great promise from God. But on the other hand, it doesn't take too long before the question arises. Why? Like, why does God need me to pray for him to act? Like if, as Jesus says in Matthew 6, 8, God already knows what we need before we ask him, why does he need me to ask? And why sometimes when I do ask for something I feel like I need, I don't end up getting it? And then why do I sometimes miraculously get things that I didn't even pray for? Like if God always wants what is good and best for us, and he always does what is good and best for us, regardless of whether we think it's a good and best, what role, what really, what does my prayer have to do in anything that God does? Why doesn't he just do the good thing that he wants to do on his own and get it over with? And maybe questions like that don't bother you. And maybe you really resonate with the promise side of this verse and you can confidently live into that aspect. And that's, if that's you, I bless you and I invite you to kick back and relax and play on your phone for the next 30 minutes. <laughs> Good job. But I bring this up because I've talked to a lot of people over the years, myself included for whom questions like these really get in the way of our ability to regularly and confidently engage in prayer with any sense that anything is happening at all. And I know for me personally, any talk of a reboot in my own prayer life, the first hurdle that I have to get over is this question. Why? Why pray to ask God to do a good thing that if, in fact, he is good and wants good for me, he should already want to do himself anyway? And why, when I do ask, a lot of times it doesn't happen? And to address this question, I wanted to, well, I wanted to start with a story. So I'm going to tell you the story, and then we're going to unpack it a bit, okay? So hang on for a minute. So, back in the summer of 1997, Carolyn and I, we purchased our first home here in Folsom. It was a wonderful, you know, brand new starter home in the then barely being built subdivision of Broadstone. Uh, it was all dirt and fields and bunnies and rattlesnakes. That was Broadstone back then. And... Uh, it was this new construction, which, you know, is just dirt when you put the deposit down on it. And then you put the deposit on, then you go. And for us, we went and lived in my uh, in-law's camper in their side yard so we could save up enough money for the down uh, payment for the house that we were going to get. Um, and, but then, you know, it's great when you move in because you move in and everything is brand new. Right? Like, everything's, like, there's no dents, no nothing. 
Uh, it's like perfect and everything works until, of course, the youth group helps you move in. Uh, and then there's dents in the walls and scratches on, and stuff. But that's great. That's part of, uh, I've, Jeremiah, I forgive you wherever you are. Um, the, the, uh, but you move in, it's great, and everything works, and it's nice, and, and, and all these beautiful things. Of course, except for the backyard, right? You buy a brand new house, you move in, the backyard is dirt. Good old Folsom Rock dirt. Which is a pain, of course, when you have a dog and brand new whitish carpet and dirt for a backyard. So needless to say, getting the backyard done was very high on our family's priority list. Now, as builders do, the builder had offered us the option of, you know, pour cement patio for us during the construction. But, you know, at that point, we barely afford to get into this house as it was, so we're definitely not looking into any upgrades during the construction process. And besides, I was a do-it-myself kind of guy, and I had done quite a lot of things myself over the years, and so, eh, don't worry, babe. I'm going to plan on pouring the back patio myself. Besides, it would save us money. And so we move in, and pretty quickly I start getting ready to pour the, you know, the, the cement in the backyard for the patio, and I was just thinking about this and getting ready. My wife, very gently, I have to add, um, kind of floated the question. Um, do you know how to do this? And I was like, eh. Yeah, sort of. I mean, cement, how hard can it be, really? Uh, because, you know, growing up, I'd helped a lot on cement projects, and so, you know, I'd watched other people do it. Didn't look too hard, uh, at least so I thought. And kind of in that conversation, my wife casually mentions, well, you know, my dad has done a lot of these things, and he'd love to help. And immediately when she said that, my defenses they go up to the roof. Because you see, I wanted to do it myself. I wanted to pour those slabs and be able to point to them and say, yep, that's me right there. I did that all by myself. Besides, I didn't really know what I was doing. And I didn't want anybody there to find out that I didn't know what I was doing while I was doing it. You know, I wanted to kind of figure it out on my own. And so I kind of hemmed and hawed and didn't say anything. And the day, you know, kept coming closer and the day was approaching. I went out and bought the wood for the, you know, they got to do the forms for the slab and stuff. And, and it was great because I'm saving money. And I don't know, you guys remember the old Ace Hardware out of Bidwell? You know, there used to be this Ace Hardware, and they had this thing where when you leave two-by-fours out in the sun too long, they get all twisted and, and weird and bent and warped. And so they'd put them all in a pile, and they'd sell them for cheap. And I'm like, wow, I'm going to build forms for cement, so I'm going to save a lot of money. I'll just buy these twisted, messy, gunky boards, because after all, so I bought all of those. And, you know, anyway, so I was really proud. You know, I was getting closer to the day, and I got the cement truck to come, and my wife was getting increasingly nervous about this project that I was doing all by myself. And so 
again, very gently mentioned, hey, you know, I was talking to my dad, and he would really love to help, which, you know, now I'm at like red level, you know, uh, uh, kind of defenses approach, because admittedly, I was starting to get really nervous about doing this project myself, which made the insecurity in me even more not want to ask for help, right? But, of course, I didn't want to come off as insecure because then I was insecure about my insecurity. And so, okay, well, (laughs) fine, fine, Uh, uh, sure. If he wants to help, tell him to come over. To which Carolyn responded, no, you need to ask him. He won't come over unless you ask him. And of course, at this point, I have a decision to make, right? I could do this thing myself on my own power, in my own wisdom, this thing that was becoming increasingly clear to me that I did not really know how to do. Or I could reach out for help. And so nervously, embarrassingly, I picked up the phone and I called my father and I said, Hey, Dad. Could you come over and help me with this cement pour thing? Which, of course, he said yes. And he came over and very gently, very kindly, very humbly saved my backyard and most likely my marriage. (laughs) Because it turned out that I didn't have a clue (laughs) as to what I was doing. And the entire thing would have been a disaster. And... What actually happened is that actually turned out really well, and he taught me a lot, and I still got to do most of all the stuff so that when it was over, I still was able to point to the patios and say, hey, I did that with my father-in-law's help. But even like without a doubt, more than the patios, more than the cement, more than how they came out, the best thing to come out of that entire experience was that that project was the beginning of hundreds of other projects that my father-in-law and I have done together over the last 25 years. We've remodeled houses, we've put up walls, we've torn up walls, torn down walls, uh, built fences, we've remodeled kitchens. I've learned so much from him, and it's been a blast. It's been a blast. And it's been the foundation of a beautiful relationship that my father-in-law and I now have. But what would have happened if he hadn't waited for me to ask him to help? What would have happened to this relationship that I now have with him if he would have just simply come over and started barking orders knowing full well that he knew what he was doing and that I did not? What if he had just come over and just taken over the project himself? You see, the thing we have to realize about God, our creator, is that he wants a relationship with us. Yes, he wants shalom. Yes, he wants justice. Yes, he wants people to be healed from sickness, freed from prison and slavery. Yes, he wants people to live full, abundant lives of joy, peace, patience, kindness, all that stuff. But more than all of that, he wants a relationship with us. 
And for him to have a relationship with humanity, humanity has to have agency of its own. It must be free to make real decisions and choices in order for God to have a relationship with humanity. Humanity has to be free to not have a relationship with him. Which is, if you haven't noticed, the option that humanity has chosen. Jesus illustrates this point in a parable that he tells in Luke chapter 19. Uh, Jesus tells this story. A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. This has been humanity's collective response to God. Go away. We don't want you to rule over us. Go away. We don't want your help. We want to figure this out ourselves. And because God wants a relationship with us, he respects our choice and stays out of it until we invite him in. Therefore, if we want his intervention in our world, we must be the ones to make the phone call. We must be the ones to invite him in. Explicitly and specifically invite him to intervene in the situations of our lives. He simply will not barge in where he is not wanted. He will not step into a situation where he is not invited. It wouldn't be loving. It wouldn't be kind. And of course, you know, as we're all sitting here in church wondering, well, I mean, who wouldn't want the all-powerful, loving, holy God to intervene into the situations of their life? Who wouldn't want God to intervene when they're sick or when they're looking for a job or when their relationships are struggling or when they're trying to figure out differential equations? Who wouldn't want God? And the answer, of course, is, well, the same kind of person who wouldn't want someone who knows how to do concrete to come and help them pour his patio. I mean, maybe I'm the only one who's felt this way. Where you're going through something in life, maybe it's major, maybe it's not a big deal, but you're going through life and then you bump into someone who suggests that maybe they could pray for you or they suggest that maybe you should pray about it and internally you say, no, I don't want to. Have you ever felt yourself Say that? Again, maybe, maybe I'm the only one. And I, I understand that there may be a lot of reasons for that internal no besides just plain simple rebellion against God, right? I mean, sometimes it's because of the person suggesting it, right? You, they, maybe they're just suggesting you pray about it to kind of control the situation, control you, control the conversation. Uh, and so really the person that you're saying no to is them and not God. Maybe, too, that internal no is coming from past experience. 
Past experience where you did trust God, you did ask him to intervene, and things did not turn out the way you were hoping they would. I mean, every one of us has had an experience like that, a time when with all the humility and all the honesty that we could muster, we did pray for God to intervene, but the outcome was not what we prayed for. And so our internal no to inviting God into a situation is more a wondering, because what's the point? But here's where we have to remember that we individually are not the only ones involved in the situations of the world. Here's where we have to remember that our agency is not the only agency that is in play. Like if you go back to my little patio situation here and think about it from Carolyn's perspective, right? I mean, right from the very beginning, she knew that the highest possibility for a good outcome was if her dad got involved. Like right from the very beginning, she wanted her dad involved in the situation. But you see, her invitation wasn't enough because my opinion mattered too. As long as I wasn't willing for him to help, he couldn't come. There's a fascinating story in the life of Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 that uh, Matthew tells us. He says, uh, Jesus, you know, coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did, he, did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. Who does this guy think he is? I know where he came from. I went to high school with the guy. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of I picture this town, uh, you know, this situation where, like, there's this whole town that's skeptical. Who does this guy think he is? And while he's skeptical, probably in this town, there's, like, there's probably sick people and people with problems and people with situations where Jesus could have helped, and yet he couldn't because of the lack of the faith in the town. In other words, the entire town collectively was saying, nope, we're good. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we're going to pour the cement ourselves. Don't need you here. Even though probably somewhere in that town there's this poor little kid who's sick and he's might say, well, maybe I could use some help here. And what this story tells us is that sometimes God does not intervene because the collective spirit involved in the situation is saying, no, we do not need your help here. Frank Laubach, who was a missionary to the Philippines back in the 1940s, he writes this in the aftermath of World War II in his book uh, called Prayer. And he writes, uh, The world at this moment is the resultant of the total thought forces which have struggled for supremacy. 
We had these world wars because wills all over the world have been at cross purposes with the will of God and with other wills. The people who were working and planning with God were fewer than those at cross purposes with God's will. Hundreds were praying when we needed hundreds of millions. People prayed for a few minutes a week when they should have been praying all week, all year, without ceasing. You see, every time that we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, we are battling against those wills, both human and spiritual, that are saying, no, my kingdom come, my will be done. Which is where you see the other effect that our prayers actually can have. You see, going back to my little story, uh, you see Carolyn's desire to have her dad's expertise involved in our project not only invited her dad to come, it also swayed my will. Ultimately broke down the walls within me. Laubach goes on to say, that our prayers do not convince God to work harder. They persuade people to listen to God. It's what's happening at 8.45 before the 9 o'clock service where people gather here to pray for the service. We are inviting God to work. We are also praying for people to have a willing spirit, an accepting posture when they come. It's what is happening when we pray, you know, for God to guide the hands of a surgeon that is performing an operation. We are praying that the surgeon will listen to God. You see, we have to realize that we as members of a family, as members of a community, a country, an ethnic group, a culture, as members of the human race, we're connected to each other. My spirit my attitude affects your spirit and your attitude. My posture, my will affects yours and yours mine. When we pray as members of whatever grouping we want to name, we are helping sway and direct the collective soul of that community. 2 Corinthians 7.14 says, If my people... That is a collective group that God is referring to, a collective soul. As a community, my individual will, my individual agency matters because it shapes and sways and affects the will and the agency of my community. This is why it's important for someone like me to confess and repent from our country's history of slavery and racism. Not that... I ever owned slaves, but I am a part of an ethnic group that did. And so my repentance and confession helps move our community from a posture of denial to a posture of repentance that, that invites God to heal our land. That's why it's important for me as a citizen of the United States of America to pray for a spirit of hospitality towards the broken and poor that clamor at our borders for hope and safety. Not because I'm the one responsible for making the decisions, but because I'm a member of the country and my attitude can sway the attitude of the people who do make those decisions. 
and open us up for God to intervene. It's also why it's so important for me, for us, to stay connected. You see, if I reject my membership to my country or my ethnic group or my family or my church, I disconnect my agency from theirs. And I lose the impact, impact that my prayers could have on the other members of my community. Now, is my individual prayer for peace in the Middle East enough to sway the wills that are at cross purposes with God's will for shalom? No, probably not. But it always helps. Prayer always moves us closer to saying yes to God. My individual voice, your individual voice, it always moves us closer to being a people who together say to God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, of course, you never know. It could be that your individual prayer is the one that tips the scales. And again, one thing we can be sure of is that God is always wanting to act, always wanting to be involved. If there's one thing about God that we learn from Jesus is that God's will for us, for humanity, for the planet, is wholeness and delight, and flourishing. God is always at the edge of his seat, ready to jump in to the degree that I, that you, that we give him permission to. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 7, When you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus is saying we don't have to beg God to act. We don't have to cajole and convince him. He always wants to give us what we need. Jesus says in Revelation 3.20, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Like, you know, the moment we crack that door, Jesus is there. He's ready to come in. We just need to open the door. And prayer is how we do that. And I hope you know, I don't mean to oversimplify this and to minimize the difficulties and the disappointments that many of us might have with prayer. Trust me, I have a long list of questions, a long history of struggle, a long history of disappointments that I'm still processing through. But I guess one thing that I have become convinced of is that while it is not a guarantee that I will get the outcome that I want, prayer always helps move me, move us, move our circumstances closer to God's will being done. And God's will is always good. God's will is always the best. So if I could just invite you this year 
to reboot your practice of prayer. Of course, there's a couple things that we are doing in this area here in the church. One, of course, one are these uh, monthly prayer nights that have started. Uh, we just had our first one this past Thursday. About 40 people showed up together here to pray. Another thing is this 845 prayer time before the service that that Sharon mentioned, it's a time that we get together to invite God to work in our lives, to say yes to God doing what he wants to do in our lives during the service. And then, of course, there is this just this reality, this hunger that we have to be a community that prays for each other at the drop of a, of a hat. And on top of that, of course, there are a million other moments in our lives that we have to pray as Sharon mentioned, whether it's for the person that cut in front of us going too fast or not fast enough, pray in that moment when we aren't realizing that we're 30 and the child is four. That moment before we eat, that moment before we sleep, that moment when we first wake up. They all matter. Like every single time we pray, it matters, it counts, and they all help us move toward God being free to act, to intervene, to forgive our sin, and to heal our land. They move us closer to God's kingdom coming and to his will being done. And to get us started, let's end this morning with the Lord's Prayer together. Would you stand and pray with me? Prayers on the screens. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.